1: I'm Joanna Shanks, I'm Emma Taylor, and this is Murder, She Spoke. Right, Emma, what is your true crime chat this week? Give it to me.
0: So, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I was watching In Police Custody. And 24 Hours in Police Custody. That's it, sorry. 24 Hours in Police Custody. And it was the one with the absolute cretin Barry Price, who is just the worst human being I think I've ever come across in my life. And he just made me so... like so angry i'm actually angry thinking about it right now and i'm not even watching
1: it <laughs> i, I did it? watch it yes i did watch it i know exactly the guy that you're talking about um yeah he was just the worst he was the most arrogant guy he, he was just vile lied through his teeth at every opportunity yeah tried to
0: squirm away from every question and he just didn't even give a shit sorry like he just did not care at all like he was sat there they were asking him about him Raping a child, and he was just like, Well, I know I'm innocent anyway. This can't come out. I've got a wife and kids. Sorry, what? Yeah, <laughs> he was so concerned about himself the whole way through. Horrific,
1: yeah, he w- he was the worst, definitely. But, um, absolutely think it was really um, inspiring of the two girls to come forward, especially given their young ages, yeah, you know, and the fact obviously the program was being televised as well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really, really brave of them. It's kind of, it's strange actually, because one of the things that came up in our conversation with uh, Thomas Leonard Ross was, you know, we'd obviously touched on the, he, he dealt with a rape case where there'd been communication between the victim and the attacker and mm. they'd, they discussed having sexual intercourse or sexual contact earlier. And, you know, you and I were of the opinion, well, just because you've had a conversation with someone about expected sexual contact doesn't necessarily translate into consent at the actual yeah. time where that, where that sexual contact is happening. Um, and it, it seemed to be a, a similar thing in this, this 24 hours in police, this episode of 24 hours in police custody that, um, yes, there had been contact between this, guy and his victims um he lied about his age as well um which I can understand and believe him because he did he did look quite young he didn't i don't think he looked his age that was the
0: only thing that nearly made me laugh was when the the young teenager was like i mean if you've seen him he basically looks like a young boy <laughs> that was about the yeah. only bit that was remotely amusing about the whole thing mm-hmm. i felt but yeah absolutely he lied about his age it was very believable so absolutely what you're saying you should be able to withdraw consent at any point, regardless. Mm-hmm. But if the consent is given on a basis that is through a messaging app, I mean, both the girls were virgins prior to this happening as well. So, mm-hmm. can you and see?
1: No one as well. Obviously, one one of the girls was a child, so she wasn't old enough to consent anyway. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, and the thing is, like, I I did find it. I was really pleased with the response from the Crown Prose- Prosecution Office, yeah, and their response to it because um it was it was a, an example of a case where there has been encouragement from both sides, but then later on that that has translated to no, no, I don't consent. And the fact that a conviction was secured following that. secured was was actually I find it really encouraging. One thing that I did find really quite sad was when the girls described the place where it happened and as the police went in to search it and there was the the cot the baby's cot uh you know the pink, which they described made me feel really sad actually for the mother of his children because the way that the 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 property was it to me it just made it look like she had just sort of fled Mm -hmm. you know that there hadn't been any real conscious effort to really pack up and leave. There, it was still looked like a family home. It, you know what I mean? It still looked very much kind of like intact, but it, it had apparently transpired that she had left. And, you know, I just wondered what kind of, um, you What she'd
0: gone through.
1: What she gone through, yeah. yeah. And absolutely. And, you know, she's left with not only one child, but also what sounded like a relatively newborn child as well. And I just thought, I hope that that, that girl is okay. Um, that woman or girl, you know, hope that, hope that she's all right too.
0: I know. I was thinking that. I was thinking for those poor kids to, to watch that program back. Can you imagine that being your father? Yeah. Horrific. Absolutely. And actually, the thing that broke my heart was, um, so for, for those who haven't seen it, he had exchanged Facebook messages with Both the girls on different occasions picked them up in the car and then essentially taking them to a mobile home and assaulted them and then dropped them off at a train station where they didn't know where they were. Um, They were completely alone and scared. And And vulnerable. Yeah, and one of the girls called the police from the train station, Mm -hmm. not knowing where she was, not knowing anything. And my heart just broke for her because can you imagine, you've just gone through that. Um, That was her first sexual experience, She's just been ditched at a train station, doesn't know where she is, feels completely just, yeah, vulnerable, hurt, traumatized out. In doubt. Mm-hmm. And then to go on and to give her testimony as well. I mean, my heart just absolutely broke for them. You just want to reach in through the screen and cuddle them and just tell them that everything was going to be all right. And then to watch him sitting there, arrogant, lying through his teeth at every opportunity, contradicting himself, saying he was messaging them. Then he claimed he didn't have a phone. I mean, it was just ridiculous.
1: It was ridiculous. And it seemed seemed like he he clearly thought he was quite clever as well, but he was just just an idiot. He had this complete misplaced sense of... You know, confidence. worth <laughs> Yeah. And actually, it's like, do you know what? You're actually an idiot. Like, yeah. you think you're clever, but you're not. Um, and for me, it was the, um, you know, the look on his face when they, when they basically said that he was being charged with it. And, you know, um, I think that at that point that he realized that he's, uh, he's being charged with the uh, rape of a child as well. So, um, you know, essentially he's, he's a paedophile and, and the fact that yeah. they, that you know the pass down the sentence where um, he was forbidden to have contact with anyone under the age of sixteen, like for yeah. the for the remainder of his life, was quite. I wondered if there was more to his background that we weren't aware of. It wouldn't surprise me. I
0: mean, remember they'd said that he'd been in and out of prison or in and out of trouble for doing various things. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me. I mean, you you have to watch something like that and question if someone like that actually has morals and has a conscience at all because there was just nothing i didn't see Mm. anything coming from him it was just avoid deny lie arrogance that was it that was all i could Mm -hmm. see coming from him and a major major blood run culture like these people are out and about walking and i'm not being funny but like they said he did look like a young boy i mean i could probably lift him (laughs) he's just like yeah if you walk past him in the street you'd be like I mean, he's he a was a streak of Odd. Yeah, he was a streak of piss. Odd. Yeah, you yeah, yeah,
1: totally could. <laughs> you, you and I could have battered him easily. Yeah. <laughs> so. Do you know what, as well? One thing that I did find actually really encouraging because I know that, you know, I've seen programs where the police say that they've had difficult relationships with the travelling community. The fact that they were forthcoming, that his, yeah. I, I believe it was his own father. How much of a piece of shit do you need to be for yeah. like the most closed community
0: in the whole of the UK to be like, yeah, you can have him? Yeah,
1: I think it was his own father that had come forward and, you know, spoke to the police. And I think, well, do you know what? Actually, that's hat off to any parent that does come forward and like is open and honest and when their, when their child is basically behaving that way. But yeah, like I say, someone from the traveling community, if they, if the police have had difficulties and they've got a strange relationship with that community anyway, and the yeah. fact that he's done that, you know, and there were other members of the community as well, then, um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's really, you know, good on them, basically. Yeah. They normally close ranks.
0: So it's, uh, I, de- I definitely still recommend, um, everyone watching it. It will most likely cause you a, 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 an Infuriate. absurd amount of rage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid. But if you're like me and you like to scream at the TV, then give it a watch. We want to thank Podcorn for being the sponsor of this week's episode. Podcorn is an online marketplace that connects podcasts of all sizes with potential sponsors, offering unique sponsorships from short adverts, interviews, topical discussions and more. If you're lucky, you can even get sent items to try and review. As the podcaster, you get to choose who you work with, so you can tailor the products and people you work with to suit your listeners and your show. Podcorn is an easy platform to use. You browse the opportunities available, set your own rates and work directly with the brands you want to. I've had lots of fun trying my hand at pitching for some brands that I already know and love, so watch this space. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn fully support you throughout the process. Click the link in our show notes to find out more about Podcorn and start monetizing your episodes today.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Fern from Evidence of a Crime, a true crime podcast. I use extensive research to respectfully tell the stories of missing people, unsolved, cold cases, murder cases and more from around the world. I've covered well-known cases such as Jacob Wetterling, an 11-year-old boy who disappeared in the USA, but mostly cover lesser-known cases such as the disappearance of Ruth Wilson, the murder of Carl Bridgewater in the double murder of Monica and Dominique From. You can listen to Evidence of a Crime on all podcast platforms or search Evidence of a Crime to find me on social media. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
0: details. Joanna, what case have you got for us this week?
1: Okay, so this week I have the case of Laura Donnelly. Does it ring any bells for you? No. I'll say No. Okay. I don't think so. So I hadn't heard of this case either. This one was actually recommended by Sean. I asked if there were any cases that he knew of that he'd like us to cover and and this was one that he came up with. So to be honest, it seems that we're on a bit of a theme lately. Maybe it's the fact that Sarah Everard's disappearance, you know, has been on our minds, but it, it seems that we're we're both finding similar similar kinds of cases. We're in sync. S- we're in sync. So, Laura Donnelly was 22 years old, and she lived in Paisley in Renfrewshire, where she had grown up. She still lived with her parents, and she was the manager of Blockbuster Video Store. Do you remember Blockbuster? I do, indeed. Yeah. My stepmom used to um, get us a video every Friday night from the video shop. I don't think it was always Blockbuster. I think maybe there was another one where we lived. But yeah, we got a video every Friday night, and then we'd have hot chocolate and a bar of chocolate for supper. (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, it's
0: like I wish we had a time machine and we could go back to Blockbuster and just like go and pick a pick a VHS. Yeah, and you'd you'd be like, it's good if fun. Someone had all the yeah. ones that you wanted. We oh, always looked forward him. to. It. it was good fun. So, so when she was,
1: this when did this happen then? So this was in nineteen ninety nine. Okay. So she, like I say, she was the manager of a Blockbuster video store, and she had a boyfriend named Gary, who she'd been with since school. Laura was uh, a mere five foot three inches. Is that taller than you? You're five foot two, aren't you? Yeah, thanks for inviting me to (laughs) everyone, Joanna. So Laura was a mere five foot three inches and she was quite dainty as well, quite petite. So Laura and her boyfriend Gary were really close and they spent a lot of time together. Um, Laura had actually proposed to her boyfriend Gary um, and they kept their engagement a secret but they were due to reveal it to friends and family within two weeks of Laura's attack. So it only happened quite recently and uh, they decided to keep it to themselves for a couple of weeks and then they were going to tell tell friends and family. On the 31st of July, 1999, Laura was out with two female friends in Paisley at Fury Murray's nightclub to celebrate the 23rd birthday of one of the girls. She bumped into a friend she knew and was familiar with other people in the club. When her two friends decided they'd had enough, they both offered to get a taxi with Laura, but she declined and chose to stay longer. One of the people that she'd bumped into earlier was someone that she knew called Martin, and I believe he lived quite close to her as well. So it was somebody that she was familiar with, and she, she knew other faces in the club as well. So, you know, she wasn't on her own among strangers, basically. Um, so she, she explained to her friends that she could make her way home with Martin later on because they live nearby, so they could share a cab or whatever. So shortly before 2am, Laura was ready to leave, but her friend Martin was still enjoying his night and he wasn't quite ready to leave. So he basically asked Laura to stay a bit longer and then he would go with her. But she said, no, look, I'm, I'm ready to go. I think she had work the next day. And so she, she just had enough and she was, she was ready to call it a night. So she left the nightclub on her own, but rather than get a taxi, she started walking. Maybe she just chose to walk or maybe there weren't any cabs around that she could hail. I'm not sure. Whatever, for whatever reason, she started walking. So she made her way from the club towards her home on Thistle Street. So from the club to where she lived would take approximately 24 minutes door-to-door walking. So it's not far, you know. No. Um, I would I would probably walk that as well.
0: Maybe during the day. Yeah, maybe a, not a on... I'm not convinced I would walk it at night.
1: Maybe not on my own at night, but yeah. But if you had no other choice, yeah.
0: you could walk it theoretically. And, Absolutely. You know, you'd probably just chance it every now and then.
1: Yeah. So on Course Bar Road... The Royal Alexandra Hospital grounds were on the left and on the right was Fergusley Cricket Club and Laura made her way up that road. So she's walking up the road, up. uh, I think it's up a bit of a hill, she's got the hospital on the left and Fergusley Cricket Club on the right. At around 2.20am, Dr Emma Kemp, who was working at the hospital, heard a woman scream. She ran back inside the hospital to, fit, to fetch a policeman for assistance. A young couple, who were returning home from a wedding, had also gotten off a bus on Course Bar Road, just outside the cricket club. They also heard the screams, but no one could identify the source. An off-duty police officer had been driving along Course Bar Road, heading towards the airport with his family, and he believes that he saw Laura walking home. Her attacker was on the opposite side of the road, approximately 20 yards behind her. Now, this officer explained that he actually thought it had been a couple who had had an argument, because obviously he was walking on the other side of the road, just not far behind her. The next morning, the groundskeeper of the cricket club came across a shoe and a set of keys. A handbag was found around 300 yards away in Lownsdale Road. A child later kicked a football into some long grass near the cricket club and came across Laura's half-naked, dead body. Oh, Laura had been raped and strangled to death. Where she was found was around a three-minute walk from her home in Thistle Street. Around 100 telephone calls were received, but police were struggling to trace her killer. Her case was featured on the September 1999 episode of BBC Crime Watch, hashtag bring back Crime Watch and police received approximately a further 60 calls with information after the episode aired. Police asked men in the local area to come forward and submit their DNA for elimination and around 800 men did. Amongst those men was Thomas Brophy, aged 21, whose DNA matched samples taken from the scene. A green shirt, found in his home, also matched fibres found on Laura's body, which her killer claimed to have been wearing the night she died. His alibi was that he had been home all night with his father, but when this was found to be untrue, he later admitted to having been out on a pub crawl and drinking 16 pints, but denied seeing Laura. Laura's body had injuries from blunt force trauma, fingernail marks around her neck, and her hyoid bone was broken. It was apparent that Laura had fought with her attacker prior to her death, but the pathologist who gave evidence at her trial said there were indications she had been immobile when she was raped. It was discovered that Laura's killer had previously been acquainted with her, as he was a customer at the blockbuster video shop that she worked in. He'd previously asked her out on a date and she'd declined. On the night of Laura's murder, her killer had spent some time chatting up another woman, buying her drinks before attempting to kiss her and asking her for sex. She'd rebuffed his advances to which it is assumed he was none too pleased. As Laura made her way up Course Bar Road, her murderer followed behind, catching up to her before attacking her. She was dragged through a gate into the cricket club and taken across the grounds where she was knocked unconscious, raped and strangled. In October 1999, 21-year-old Thomas Brophy, from Lochinver Crescent Paisley was charged with Laura's rape and murder. Her killer stood trial in March 2000 and was convicted on the 31st of March 2000 after a 90 minute deliberation. The trial lasted eight days. Laura's killer was sentenced to a minimum term of 20 years in prison by Judge Lord Wheatley, which was later reduced to a minimum term of 16 years on appeal. And that is the case of Laura Donnelly.
0: It's just awful. I th- why
1: is it that, why is it so much worse that she was only three I know, minutes from her home? I know, And you know I mean? it sounds as well, she grew up in Paisley and she knew people in the club. And given the fact it was on a 24 minute walk, it sounds like she probably had a a feeling of maybe safety and that she could walk home and, mm. and be okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That she wasn't, You know, in danger if she decided to walk alone. So, also the fact, I guess, a little bit like some of the other cases we've
0: covered that people Mm -hmm. heard it happening. I hate that just there's something about that that always feels so heartbreaking that maybe if someone had intervened.
1: I think, I think the reason, one of the reasons it's heartbreaking is because there was a policeman in the hospital now. I don't know if he was just if they have some, a policeman on duty there. You know, um, in case something kicks off, I'm not really sure. But anyway, the fact that there was a policeman there, the fact that an off-duty police officer passed and saw and saw her, mm-hmm. you know, with with her attacker on the other side of the road, and the fact that there were the, the couple that got off the bus from the wedding, you know, and the doctor, you've got several people in the area that heard the screams, and you think if they had located her, they probably could have scared him off. Yeah, definitely. That as well, that is heartbreaking, as well as the fact that she was so close to her home. Like I say, I think it was about 150 yards from her home. I think
0: the audacity of, you know, someone doing that because they've been turned down is something that I will always struggle with. We've seen it happen in various instances where... People usually women have turned down men, and it's ended up violent. And it's it's like an it's like an entitlement, isn't it?
1: No, obviously, I was just talking there about the fact that you know, she screamed. And I, th- I believe that Dr. Emma Kemp said the screams lasted for approximately three minutes. So it didn't sound like it was one scream. And then everybody was like, oh, well, what was that? Somebody maybe just had an argument or messing around? Oh, well, it's fine. Let's do-. you know, they were aware that somebody was in trouble. Yeah. And that brings me nicely onto this point. So we've spoken before about personal alarms. And, um, I've spoken before about that you can wear one on your brass strap because it's like a key ring. You can wear it on your brass strap because, you know, if somebody pulls your bag away from you or rips your jacket off or something, you know, if you've got a, de- or take, you know, you drop your keys or whatever. And if, if the device is attached to anything like that, it could easily be taken away from you. Whereas if you have it on something like a brass strap, you know, it's not going to be until the point where somebody's trying to, you know, potentially rip your clothes off or whatever yeah. that they're gonna that they're gonna find that you're gonna have a chance to just mm-hmm. grab the toggle yank it and the alarm will go mm-hmm. off i actually saw an advert yeah. recently for a new type of personal alarm and it's called the ashley personal safety alarm i don't know if you've seen it but this is a similar one so basically it's a similar thing it fits on like a set of keys but again i i I probably wouldn't encourage it to be, cause I mean, Laura had her keys in her hand at the time that she was attacked and her keys were dropped and they were found. So yeah. that's the thing. If you're holding something, it's like holding your phone. It can easily be knocked out of your hand. Uh, whereas if it's attached to you, yeah. to me, that's a bit safer. Mm-hmm. So this, um, this personal alarm called the Ashley personal safety alarm, it's actually also got a light on it. So if you, if you pull it, Not only does it emit a large piercing sound, but there's a flashing light on it as well. So people can locate you by uh, sight and sound. And yeah, I I think it's an invaluable thing to have because um, it could save your life. You know, it, it could scare somebody away from you. It could help someone locate you if you're in trouble. I know that there are apps and things and I think they're great. You know, because they can track you and things like that. But like I say, if your phone gets knocked out of your hand, you know, I would imagine if somebody's going to go for you, the first thing they're going to try and do is get your hand, your your phone away from you. Yeah,
0: the only thing that I have heard of, someone tried out following the Sarah Everard murder. I saw it on I don't know on one of the Facebook um, pages I follow, and it's an app where if you're going for a walk you put in your start point and your end point and it says how long it's expected to take. And then if at any point you stop updating, it automatically sends an alert to people that you've pre-programmed it to. That might be it. The other thing is, if you've got a smartwatch or a Fitbit watch or anything like that, then there is an emergency contact thing on there, but it's different for everyone. So you need to try and work out what capabilities your one has um, but yeah certainly mine if mine is within and range roughly of my phone or any wi-fi it can call emergency mm-hmm. numbers and things like that
1: i think it might be Hollyguard. guard i've got that how do you spell it holly h-o-l-l-i-e and then guard g-u-a-r-d
0: yeah i think that might be it actually yes so there's I found the article that I read and it's from Edinburgh Life and it says, I tried the Holy Guard women's safety app in Edinburgh and here's what happened. And for the person that used it, they found it really, really helpful. And it did. She, she told everyone in advance that they were going to get this emergency alert. And yeah, it seemed to work perfectly for her. So it's free to download. You can upgrade to payment plans if you want, but all the main features are available in the basic version. You fill in a profile and um, everything like your name, height, builds and emergency contacts. And that's what those are the people that they alert instantly. And yeah, it, I think let's see. So yeah, accesses your location. There's a prominent emergency alert button. But there's a vital setting where uh, you can shake your phone and you can log a journey if you don't arrive by the time allocated, the app will alert your contacts and ask you, are you safe? And it can also log if you appear to have tripped or fallen in case you've injured yourself and it'll do the same thing. So yeah, that's amazing. Um, once again, we will always say it's horrific that we even have to have such things, but it could save people's
1: lives so absolutely I was also thinking recently <laughs> I don't know if it's um I don't know how it'd be viewed but you know one thing that I always used to carry on a night out not so much these days but I always used to have a can of hairspray in my bag when I was going on a night out and I thought you know you get those little sort of travel size hairsprays and I thought mm-hmm. well if you get one that's like a really you know a really extra hold one that's like dead dead sticky like tresemme or something you could probably um spray that on somebody's face <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, do
0: you know you're 100% correct. I watched a, a TikTok that someone shared with me and it was saying that obviously you're not allowed to carry weapons with you because then it's premeditation. Mm-hmm. However, if you happen to have something that accidentally doubles as a weapon and you were to use it in an instance that it was required, such as the hair combs that have a long stabby bit on the end mm-hmm. for separating your hair. Yep, that's a, that's a valid hairbrush that you would use and need if you had that in your handbag and you were to encounter trouble and you were to use it in self-defense it's not a weapon that you're carrying it's something that has doubled as a weapon in your hour of need same with hairspray, they said it is legal to carry mace or pepper spray however, if you had deodorant or hairspray deodorant or hairspray in your eyes is not nice and will uh, disarm someone Mm -hmm. for a short period of time yeah so just just worthy of thinking
1: about. Yeah, all good things to, to keep in mind, especially yeah. for the women that go out walking dogs alone. They Or, you know, running early morning and sort of isolated routes. They are, they're the ones that I worry about. <laughs> I know, like, you know, yeah. it's good to be safe all the time, but it doesn't hurt. Something that's like the size of something that's a key ring that can go on your brass strap that can just help you, even if you've fallen under yourself and you, you can't, uh, you know, you've dropped your phone, you can't get the help you need, whatever. It's its good for a bunch of reasons.
0: Yeah. And you know what? If you don't need to spray someone in the face, your hair will be looking great. Yeah. Because <laughs> you've got your
1: hair comb you. and you've got your hairspray. You're going to look amazing. <laughs> All right. So have you got a, a funny... So I'm going to assume it's going to be a Florida man story, is it? No, no? okay. I've gone off,
0: yeah, I've gone off piece. Um so I've decided to go for a true crime fact of sorts I'm going to ask you a question first okay. what do you think is the most stolen food in the world? Off the top of my head? Yeah, off the top of your head. Salmon No, right you get two more guesses. Lobster Joanna, these are very highbrow choices. Like, this is, this is of the whole world.
1: Like, be- not everyone has access to salmon and lobster, for I- God's sake. Really. <laughs> I, be- I mean, because they're expensive, they might be sought after.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I get, okay, I get your logic, but no. Okay. <laughs> Can I have a clue then? It's like a staple that you would pick up in the shop. Oh, okay. If you went for a
1: weekly shop. Okay, a staple. Um. Most stolen food, most stolen food. um, could it
0: be bread? No, but you're not far off, but I mean, you're not right, but anyway, it's cheese. okay, well, cheese is expensive. exactly. That is actually the prime reason that it is the most stolen food in the world. I was hoping for something a bit more uh, dramatic as the reason, but no, it is literally because it's very expensive. Four mm-hmm. percent of the world's cheese ends up stolen. Really? Percent of all the cheese that's quite world high gets stolen. That is in in the United States, that is roughly twelve point seven billion pounds as in weight wise.
1: My god. Twelve point
0: seven billion pounds annually or five hundred and eight million pounds of stolen cheese in total, I'm guessing it's saying mm-hmm. across the world. The weight of an average car is roughly four thousand pounds. So cheese thieves steal the equivalent of hundred thousand cars worth a year of cheese.
1: What on earth? And is there yes. is there any more like information about where it's most uh, where it occurs most? I'm assuming it's not somewhere like France.
0: No, but I do have some good uh, examples. So. In October 2019, a magazine actually exists called Dairy Herd, which I love and now (laughs) want to subscribe to. (laughs) Um, Two men stole $50,000 worth of cheese from Leprino Foods between 2017 and 2019. uh, One of them worked at the California plant and it happens to be the world's largest manufacturer of mozzarella cheese. Hmm. Get this, police were eventually able to identify the cheese based on the serial numbers blocked onto it.
1: Wow. Is that? Onto the yeah. actual cheese and not the packaging. Well, I'm guessing
0: it says blocked onto the cheese. Hmm. Maybe you know how the ones you get with rinds, how they sometimes like you don't eat the rind. No, but mozzarella it's like that. Oh yeah, no, yeah, because it it's wet. Yeah. It, it's kept... no, not all mozzarella is. I had this conversation with someone oh. today because I recently um, purchased a, a pizza oven, so I'm now somewhat of a, a cheese connoisseur. <laughs> you were already <laughs> so... a cheese connoisseur. I was already a cheese connoisseur. It's actually me that's stealing most of the 4% of <laughs> cheese in the world. Shop in the black market. <laughs> yeah. And um, you can buy mozzarella that has got the, the, the reduced. Oh. So that you can grate it. So in America, mm. they sell blocks of mozzarella cheese. Oh. I know. Interesting. There you go. Um, and there was another in 2017, Italian police actually undertook an operation called Operation Wine and Cheese because <laughs> there was so much cheese getting stolen. And they succeeded in capturing 10 masterminds behind the theft of 168 wheels of Parmesan. Wow. Which was reported on by Time Magazine. How wonderful is that? Time Magazine, like, you think they just deliver the hard hitting stuff, but no. No. No, they don't. They.
1: They report on Operation Wine and Cheese also. Can I just say, Operation Wine and Cheese sounds like an operation that I would like to be part of. <laughs> yes. Because to me it sounds That's like, I would Let, let's sit around a table, drink wine, eat cheese and deliberate about how these criminals are yeah. masterminding this Absolutely, cheese theft. Also,
0: I want to make a point that I think is really unfair. The picture that is associated with this article is of a mouse with cheese Nowhere in this article, nowhere in the statistics have mice been implicated in any way, shape or form. Mm. I just want it to be clarified that it is not suggested that the mice have anything to do with this. It's a harmful, harmful stereotype. Absolutely. And it's the I humans. not blame them for anything. It's definitely the humans. Yeah. Rude. So rude. Um, wow, well, that's actually really interesting. <laughs> I know every time we chat, we have um, some new knowledge to share with everyone, usually about food and crime, so that's good,
1: interesting, well, thank you for that. There are loads of puns that are obviously running I'm around my head right it. now. I'm no, waiting. no, Go on, give us one, no, give us one. I mean, if you think about it, it's unbelievable.
0: Ah, uh, I was gonna say, I can't believe
1: you haven't said one yet. <laughs> Go sorry. on, give us some more. No, do you know what? I'm not gonna. Uh, Cause I, I, I can't, I can't stand your <laughs> exasperated look.
0: No, <laughs> I, oh, I do love them. I have to do that look. I have to do it. It's, it's our <laughs> tradition now. Oh,
1: but yeah, that's um, actually you, really interesting. I am surprised. Um, but yeah, it's, so does it, is it that it happens most in America? No. I no. think it's just that they have the statistics the, the the on The it. large... It's strange that they're the largest producer of mozzarella, because mozzarella yeah. is an Italian cheese, isn't
0: it? Yeah, supposedly. Maybe it's not protected like it is in, um you know, how certain cheese, like Parmesan and things like that, and Parmigiano, they've got, like, protected status. Maybe mozzarella is just the style. Right. Because I know you can only get, like, Wensleydale and Wensleydale, things like that. So, yeah. some of them are protected and some of them aren't. Like, like I cheddar. cheddar. You can make anywhere now. Doesn't have to come from cheddar. Exactly. And I'm guessing brie as well, because in Tesco, you've got like Cornish brie.
1: Yes, that's true. So
0: brie must not have a like protected thing. Um, but yeah, there you go. People stealing cheese left, right and centre. Ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. I do quite enjoy cheese based
1: jokes though. I have to say though, I I get why people want to steal it because cheese is good, but it is very expensive. The only time I yeah. sort of indulge in cheese is at Christmas, you know, get the get the selection and you know have it on crackers and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Oh yeah, it's just absolutely. Beautiful. Actually,
0: have to record,
1: uh, report a cheese related crime. So. I
0: went to I.J. I went to IG Mellis. <laughs> Have you been to Ajay It's an amazing Cheesemongers in Edinburgh, but um I didn't look at the prices of like some of the rounds. So I was just like ordering willy-nilly and it was daylight robbery. It was like absolutely outrageous for, the, for the, the amount of cheese I walked out with, with how much I spent on the cheese. I felt like someone had like been spending in Harvey next on my card. Oh, it no. was outrageous. What did you buy and how much did it cost? I can't actually remember the specifics because the problem is they let you taste it mm-hmm. as well prior to COVID, this is. So they let you taste it. And then once you've tasted something, you're like, I can't not buy it now. But I mean, 40 odd, 50 quid on cheese, something like that. For one That's not too portion. bad,
1: actually. I once spent 50 quid on pumpkins, so. <laughs> yeah, but these are like <laughs> tiny little slices, like slivers, like tiny bits of cheese. Oh, right. I thought you said that you bought wheels of cheese, though.
0: No, 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 no. I'm saying you like tasted from the wheels of cheese. Like, they oh, cut from the wheels of cheese. Because I was like, well, if you, like, you got a few wheels like, of no, cheese no, for fifty no, quid, I'm that's not about bad. Like a hundred, like like oh, hundred grams no. of each cheese. Oh no. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And then chuck in some homemade quince jelly. And next thing you know, like fifty quid. I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's not what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. It was really good though. Yeah. And I didn't tell Richard, but it's fine because he doesn't listen to the podcast, so it's fine. <laughs> fine. <out. Yeah. laughs> so much for listening if you've enjoyed listening to us today we would love it if you left us a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform choice if you'd like to get in contact with us you can find us on social media we are on facebook instagram and twitter and if you'd like to email us perhaps you have a case recommendation for us or you just want to say hi you can email us it's info at spoke.net. thanks again and we'll see you in a week